Now, Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. Hello, good morning. I'm Ali Bally. This is Scotland's Talking. On the programme today, dog control laws in Scotland could be about to be changed. But what does that mean for you? We think the laws in Scotland are just not adequate at all. So the committee is now calling on the Scottish Government to have a wholesale review of dog law in Scotland. I actually hope that when we publish this report today that the Government will be looking at this and doing a lot of work on this over the summer and bringing forward how they are going to review our law properly so we can get this right as soon as possible. Jenny Mara is the convener of a Holyrood committee which has branded the current situation a national crisis because of the number of attacks. But how would you feel about a dog offender database being introduced, dogs being banned from certain parks and even making it compulsory for GPs and other doctors to report dog bites to the police? Also on the programme today, more people than ever are dying as a result of taking drugs in Scotland. That's what new figures revealed this week, and it's led to calls for a radical change in drug policy, including decriminalisation. Had these drugs been manufactured by a legal pharmaceutical company subject to rigorous regulation and oversight, uh, uh, if he had taken these drugs and got high, would he still be alive? Uh, And I believe almost certainly he would have still been alive. Is decriminalisation the answer or should they still be illegal? And should councils be allowed to use funding for certain policies to plug holes in their budgets elsewhere? That's what we're hearing is happening with Frank's Law, which was passed last year to extend free personal care to under-65s. It is a disgrace what South Ayrshire and any other council that comes along and said, oh well, you know, if South Ayrshire get away with it, um, we can do exactly the same. Um, well, not on my watch, they won't be able to. Amanda says the battle for Frank's law has been won, but the war goes on. This is Scotland's Talking. If you'd like to take part, here's the number, 033 401 Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Is the campaign to have Scotland's dog control laws overhauled after figures revealed around 4,000 people were ending up in hospitals here every year because of dog attacks? One of our senior reporters, Natalie Crawford, has been leading the campaign and submitted evidence to a Holyrood committee back in February. And now, off the back of that, the committee has published a report demanding the Scottish Government makes a number of changes. Jenny Mara is the committee convener and she's called it a national crisis. We heard from parents whose children had been maimed, uh, really injured and have lifelong injuries as a result of that. It was one of the most emotional meetings that the committee has ever done. Among the recommendations is a national dog control database. Dogs being banned from certain areas and to make it compulsory for doctors and local authorities to report attacks to police the same as they do for knife crime. Natalie joins us now to talk through these recommendations in more detail. So Natalie, let's start with the dog database. How would that work? 
Well, the committee is calling for the immediate establishment of a Scottish dog control database to improve the effectiveness of the Dog Control Act. This was supposed to be introduced nine years ago when the legislation first came into force. At the moment, a dog can be issued with a dog control notice by a warden or I think the way we've described them before is a doggy asbo um, and that sets restrictions on that dog. These can include things like compulsory training, mandatory muzzling or the owner being required to keep the dog on a lead in public places. But because of data protection, only the warden who issued that notice is aware of what it actually contains. There's no record kept anywhere of what restrictions are put in place or that it even exists. So, for example, a dog could be served with a control notice which says it has to be muzzled at all times mm-hmm. and go on to bite someone in a park. When the police turn up, they have no way of knowing that that dog should have been muzzled and that the owner has broken the control notice. A centralised database would prevent that from happening, a bit like the driving register. Anyone who needs to, whether that be a dog warden or a police officer, will be able to look up the details of that dog and whether or not it's been in trouble before. This means they'll be able to take more appropriate action action and escalate the issue if necessary. Right. So you mentioned incidents in public parks there. The committee also wants to create dog-free zones in parks so children can play safely. Why why is that necessary? One of the biggest eye-openers for me going through this whole campaign has been the psychological impact that these attacks can have. We've heard from dozens of parents who've said their kids won't go near dogs, run away or cross to the other side of the street when they see one coming. I spoke to the mum of one wee boy who never left the house for nine months after being attacked because he was so scared. Ryan Booth is another example of that. He was attacked when he was just six years old. He's 10 now. He had his left ear bitten off by an awfully dog as he picked acorns with his mum near his home. Um, this is what he had to say about the law being changed and the impact that it'll have on his mental health. I'm just really happy that it's happening because when it happened, I had a, a big anxiety that like, I knew it was okay, but it just... I felt that I couldn't do it, but with the law coming, it was going to get far better. I've also heard from adults who've told me the trauma from childhood attacks still haunts them and they're still scared of dogs. We're talking long after the physical scars have healed. People are still dealing with the emotional toll this can take. Scotland is a beautiful country with lots of green space and public parks. We're not short of the space and I think if creating safe dog-free zones in parks across the country provides a little bit of reassurance for parents and for children who might be frightened that they can run around here and won't be disturbed by off-lead dogs, then that's a very small sacrifice to make. Mm. Now, when these attacks do happen... Uh, MSPs want to see it made compulsory for medical staff to report these to the police. Again, how do they see that working, Natalie? Well, one of the things we discovered during the campaign is that people are sometimes frightened of reporting dog attacks. This can be for lots of reasons, like it being a family pet or a neighbour's dog, and they just want to keep the peace. Sometimes they're just not sure who they're supposed to report to. But we know that if a dog bites once, it's likely to do it again. And it's really important that the police and dog wardens are aware of all incidents so they can either serve a dog control notice like we've previously discussed 
and also have a record to refer to in case a pattern of behaviour emerges or there's perhaps a spate of attacks in a particular area. Legislation like that would bring dog control into line with the likes of knife crime where medical staff are already required by law to report if someone shows up for treatment with a stab wound. This was brought into place to tackle the so-called grass culture and it would work the same way for dog attacks. Natalie, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the programme today and uh, bringing us up to date as to where it is. That's what the recommendations are, but what do you at home think? Should dogs be banned from certain areas of public parks? Is that fair on all dog owners or is it something that we should just get on and do? And what about the centralised database to keep track of the bad dogs? We keep hearing councils don't have any money. So who's going to pay for it and who indeed is going to implement it? And should dog attacks be reported to the police by medical staff and local authorities the same way they would report knife attacks? What do you think? This is Scotland's Talking. We're looking for your opinions because that's what the programme is all about. Do you think these recommendations go too far or indeed do they not go far enough? Give us a call. Let's have your comments. Here's the number, 033-2020-401. Brings the time to quarter past ten, and Ian's first. Hello, Ian. Hi, Ali. Good morning. Uh, I'm probably going back about 20 years. I was a postman, and uh, I was delivering mail, and I went to this household, and uh, the gate was open. <coughs> Sorry, the front, the front door was open. The dog was in the back garden. The dog heard the, well, the, the dog would know my voice, I would imagine. Right for the back garden, right through the house, right, to, right through the front door, as I say, the gate was open, and came bounding towards me. So I turned round, I put my hands up, and the dog sunk its teeth into my back. Wow. Now, we, uh, <laughs> okay, I then handed the, handed the mail to the, the, the householder. Oh, here I am, fine, fine, fine. So he got the dog and it back in again. Didn't want anywhere any more to see about it. So I had the uh, I'd went back down the road again and I kinda I felt a bit dampness in my back. And I says to this this, this neighbour that was a bit further down the street, I says, hey, uh, I've just been attacked by a dog there and I says so we we went in the stairway and okay, I lifted up my up my shirt and she says, There's blood on your back, okay? So I went to her house and uh, and we phoned the police. I then phoned the, the manager at the post office to explain to him what the uh, what had actually happened. So I went down to the police station. The police the police came up up to the up the scene of the incident. Uh, spoke to the person. I got in the police car. They took me down to the police station. Uh, I got my photograph. Uh, the, the policeman took a photograph of the of the wound in my back. Uh, I went to the, the doctor. Got a tetanus. Uh, all the details and everything were all taken. Uh, the an Edinburgh paper had had got hold of this uh, that this story that was happening quite quite a time uh, oh maybe maybe a week or two later uh, and a big half page article and everything about this and all this uh, humming and on and all the rest and then there was a, another article in the thing when it when it was uh, it was taken to court and Ali it was just made it was it was like a Mickey Mouse cartoon it was an absolute joke. There was nothing done. They said, well, the, the, the dog's in the dock and the dog can't answer and it's this and it's that and the other. Okay, I've not got any uh, uh, any scars to, to, to prove, but the dog did nip my back 
And I know that there's, there's different organisations within the uh, within the, the post office authority uh, deal with certain things because fingers have been lost, there've been a lot of attacks and all the rest. Of it. So, but so after they, all that, after all that, Ian, what would you do then if you were in in this committee's uh, situation, or indeed the Scottish government? Would you, would you be saying that these recommendations go too far or not far enough? Well, Ali, I, th- I think. Yeah. Okay then, it, it just seems to be an ongoing thing that that the uh, uh, postmen are hated by a lot of dogs. Now, <laughs> so some of the time, Ali, I would, I would put biscuits in my pocket. So you would try to be the, the dog's friend rather than his enemy. But at the back of the letterbox, I'll tell you, at the uh, face-to-face, uh, sometimes they've, they've, they've got to keep the dogs under control or you would just refuse to take the mail to their, their door at all. Then they would have to come to the post service to collect it. But I'm always saying for a, for a, for a postman's point of view, I can't see with anything else. I mean, I didn't hate dogs at all. I love them a bit. And, and we've had dogs as well in our family. But, but the, uh, no, I, I think it, it's... Well, OK, I've never been maimed and and my, my 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 thoughts and feelings go out for the mm. for the, uh, the the individuals that have, but just that nah, it just. But as far as I was concerned, it was an absolute joke. They were just making it to me. Act it, it, it just. That's a hazard. Uh, as that's I say, a hazard of half page in the paper. Yeah, hazard of being a postman. That's that's what. Well, that's yeah, it, yeah, Ali. That's yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I've read that before. Ian, you know that comment, and I'm thinking, well, nobody should really um, be putting themselves at risk just to do their job like that. But Ian, thank you very much indeed for kicking us off. Jonathan, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Ali. Morning, Jonathan. What's your thoughts? Well, I think some parts of this new dog control legislation, or what you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, kind of are going too far, in my opinion, it is. Because one thing I'd like to make an example of is this idea of so-called dog-free zones. Now, now, relating to the people who've been on, including the child that was on being interviewed, you know, I can relate to actually being afraid, really afraid of dogs when I was a child, because believe it or not, even roughly, uh, my family and I do have a lovely, uh, happy spring spaniel in the house. I was very afraid of dogs. I'd do the same thing. I'd run across the road. I wouldn't want to go near them. But over time, you know, I was taught by my parents that, you know, not all dogs are bad. And I have to, you know, guess over my fears. And plus also my friends were also owning the dogs. And secondly, when families are dealing with dangerous dogs, um, why shouldn't there be an ability by the parents, you know, if they're taking their children, to an area which is so very green, very good nature, and all of a sudden they're confronted by a dangerous dog, that they have to use maybe pepper spray to spray it into the dog's eyes so that the dog, though being caught up with uh, being stung by the pepper spray in the eyes, would have to roll in the grass for about 10 minutes while they end up doing a rather and going away from it and probably mm. phoning the authorities about it. I don't know if that's um, that would be some pepper spray in the wrong hands. I'm not too sure about that one. And I, and I just go back to your first point there, Jonathan. You said you 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 don't agree with the some dog free areas. Um, surely, parents who do have children um, who they either have concerns for, who are frightened of dogs, uh, or indeed have had a problem with dogs. Wouldn't it be good for them to have an area that they know that is quite clearly designated as there will be no dogs in this park? Well, it would, well, it would be ideal, particularly, you know, there's already bylaws in place, particularly if in one section of the park there's 
whether it be slides as well as swings and dogs are already not allowed to go on uh, that area at all. There's barriers that keep the dogs out. So that's why I think these laws are a bit overreaching, really. Right. And secondly, also with the idea of an offender register, I mean, the other concern would be if petty neighbour disputes were taken to another level where instead of taking into consideration the dog's behaviour caused by how they want to raise it, the neighbours or neighbour involved in a dispute would then try to, even in unrelated terms, report that whichever otherwise unfit, otherwise particularly friendly dogs as being dangerous, as if to try and maybe have a personal lax to grind. Right, they would use that as a, as a bit of a weapon against their, their neighbours. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Jonathan, thank you. It's all about opinions. Thank you for yours. Stephen's got up an opinion about everything, haven't you, Stephen? Good morning, Ali. Good morning to you. How are you doing? I'm doing no bad, but I've listened to some of your callers, and I don't know really where they're barking from, because I'm going to tell you this, Ali. The wee girl came for your neck of the woods, wee Kelly, over 30 years ago and got killed by a, dorm, a doberman down in uh, the hallway locking down in. I remember it well. Been, yeah, I, I remember it myself, Ali. I just stayed across the road for it. Mm-hmm. The owner, he couldn't live with himself, I don't know what folk know this, he couldn't live with himself after that. He committed suicide. The law should have been changed then for all dogs, I would say, in my opinion, should be banned. No muzzled. They should be banned from all public places. I was in Rook and Glen the other day in Alley. Thousands of people that weigh and here comes all these folk with these big fancy bull masters. All these big fancy dogs running about and in that heat. And I'm saying this is an accident waiting to arm. And why these folk have got these dogs for, I don't know. I heard the guy with the spaniel. My uncle had one of the spots, a Dalmatian, that bit one, bit one of the children. I'll tell you what, Ali, I didn't have to bite another one. I was in Rossi three weeks ago in an area, walking about, and he had a dog come in the corner. And I think I'm, I'm lucky to break his jaw, Ali. The dog attacked me. The owner came in the corner. Why did he come in the corner? He was bouncing around the corner. Drunk, and I says that dog should be shot. How's that? He says it near bit me, that near attacked my wife. And that was a one that was a week and a cocker, can a spaniel, can a dog cross. And I says, where did you get that dog from? I got it out of home. He says that RSPC or some SBC gave it to him. I says, well, you better put it back here. I says, I'll take it to the vet. But you, I mean, you would, many, you would seriously ban dogs from all public places. Is that what? Yeah. yeah? All public, yes. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you something else, Ali. I live in a block here, a block of four people here, in the four flats here. The, the, the couple up the stairs, they go to their work in the morning at 8 o'clock. You see them get away out, come 10 o'clock, they that dog up the stairs. Poor dog locked in the house, barking. Somebody will come about 12, take it away for half an hour. And that dog's stuck in there again, in that house alone. See if you left a child in there, Ali, all day. You built for neglect. You built for neglect for that dog. So we're, and I've heard the rules with the pensioners. The oil pensioners, they need company and all that. The pensioners can hardly walk. If they can walk, they should go in a bus. They can't look after a dog, there's no chance. I would ban, I would put a total ban on dogs. Those dogs are, we should have in this country, and I've said this before in programmes, is assisted dogs and working dogs, and I would ban every other one of them. And, and they make it a free zone country for dogs. The only dog I want, Alex, they get it. Stephen, thank you very much indeed. There's his views. Again, if you agree or disagree, 
pushing it right today. It's interesting. Jonathan thinks that some of the proposals are a step too far. Um, and as far as Stephen's concerned, they're not far enough. What do you think? O treble three twenty twenty four o one is the number. You can also uh, email Ali at the. Um, I've lost the email address there. There we go. Ali at the greatersets.co.uk. I've only been using it for years. Uh, text number six one zero five four. Start your message with Ali, but love your calls on O treble three twenty twenty four o one. You're listening to Scotland's Talking the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talking. Right, let's go to Alison then. Hello, Alison. Good morning, Ali. Good morning I'm to you. I'm beginning to feel really sorry for all these anti-dog people. I did not... I thought we lived in a caring society. And Stephen, I'm sorry, if you've never had a dog or known the love of a dog, then you are missing out on a lot. You get far more from a dog than you do from most people. And what I would like to say is, yes, there has got to be some control. However, the police do not have the time or the resources to pursue every dog that barks at somebody. I've got dogs. I walk my dogs off the lead. My dogs are all friendly. They're all trained. They're all socialised. There's not a problem. But what I do have a problem with, everybody should be allowed to go wherever they want. However, there are well-known dog walking areas mm-hmm. because all the dog walking areas are being cut back. So the choice that you can actually take your dog and exercise your dog, let them off their lead, let them burn up their energy, is being reduced. And then you find you have these people that come to a well-known area with children or they don't like dogs themselves and they look at you as if you're a piece of what you mm-hmm. what the dogs do. So why do these people put themselves in that situation? If you're really terrified of a dog, don't go, for example, to Linderson Bay, where hundreds of people go to walk their dogs. But why why should someone have to stay away from an area just so you can walk your dog? If they're really that frightened, mm-hmm. why would they put themselves in that situation? You think they should be saying if to themselves... If you're an alcoholic, you don't walk into a pub. You know, it's a wee bit of common sense. There, there, there have got to be areas that you can. Part of the problem is too many idiots get dogs. They've not got a clue about having a dog. And then they realise, right, OK, I'm going to go out to work eight hours a day. I'll pay somebody to come in for an or pay somebody an hour to walk their dog, which mm-hmm. basically comes down to half an hour because that's 15 minutes to come and get the dog then 15 minutes to put the dog back. So your dog isn't getting the energy burnt up. You have to be able, if you're taking on a dog, it's a lifetime commitment. It's like having a baby. You make a choice to have a baby. You promise that you're going to look after that child till it's 18 or 21 years of age. So there is something here. If you here... have to take on a dog, you've got to promise to look after that dog. So there's something so here that you and, hang on, there's something you and Stephen agree on then. And, and leaving, as he was saying, you know, one of his neighbours goes away to work in the morning, eight, eight o'clock-ish, away all day, somebody comes in, takes the dog out for half That's an hour. That's the only thing I agreed with Stephen on. Right. That was the only thing I agreed with. Uh, yes, it's not fair. That Dogs need company. But, but you... people, loads, hundreds and thousands of people across the country must do that, go to work and leave their dogs. 
there obviously is, yes. And some do make provision. Some do take their dogs out for a good hour's walk before they go to work, have a dog walker at lunchtime, and then get the dog out again at night. That's fine. The dog, but the dog, dogs do need company. Mm-hmm. And as for posties, I'm sorry about that wee postie, but my wee postie's absolutely smashing. He walks up to my door and he even opens my door and sticks my mail in if I'm round about. And not one of my dogs has ever attacked him. The only thing they've probably done is drooled in his nice clean trousers. But uh, they've certainly never attacked any postman. Alison, thank you very much indeed for your call. Let's go to Philip next. Philip, good morning. How do you, Ali? Good, thank you. Your thoughts on this then? Well, this is the wrong running issue. It's a controversial issue, Ali. Um, yeah, but now, right. now we've got a, a group of MSPs at Holyrood who are pushing for action. This is a committee that sat down and thought about things, recommendations saying uh, dogs should be banned in certain areas and certain parks, um, the central database. So I know you're saying it's a long-running issue, but you know, here we are, the Scottish Government are actually going to be doing something about this. Well, they've actually got legislation in place, Ali. You've got the Dangerous Dogs Act, you've got the Dog Fouling Act. Microchipping is now compulsory. What, other, what else can you do? Well, my, my thoughts immediately, what you could do is, you know, you can bring in as much legislation as possible, but who's going to enforce it? The councils don't have money. They, they, you know, they're not, going to, they're not going to bring in... We could have this new legislation going alongside exactly what you say is in place at the moment, but the councils don't have money to, to have dog wardens or, 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 you know, they just they can't afford to do that. And is that something that we would want our taxes spent on? Well, uh, what you're actually saying there, Ali, right? The, 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 the Scottish government's pushing for further legislation. But honestly, it's their people, it's, 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 it's the central government that's starving the councils of money in the first place. So the blame has to lie with Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But they're the ones that are going to be bringing in this, these laws. Well, how can they do that if, the force, if, if they're going to starve the councils of money? The councils are saying would be squeezed dry. So the legislation may come in, but it will just sit there. That's, that's you know, the things that it's... That's what I've been looking at and thinking to myself, okay, let's say we go ahead with all these recommendations and they may be necessary. I don't know. I'm not a dog owner, so I don't know. I've not really got an opinion on it. Um, but my opinion does come in where it's more legislation that's going to be handed down from, from Holyrood to local councils who are going to say, for goodness sake, where are we going to get the money to implement this? Yeah, so they're, literally they're going to be passing the book back to Holyrood again. Yeah. So they're going to have this sort of political ping pong going backwards and forwards again. It has always been. It's always been that, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's no my fault. It's your big Johnny down the road. <laughs> Philip, thank you very much indeed. Let's go to Robert. Hi, Robert. Hi, uh, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Uh, I'm just wanting to make a point about Stephen. Um, I think he's totally wrong. Um, we need to do something about the dogs, but why don't they put, put them in leads on public places rather than ban dogs totally. Um, and, and also, I, I think it's the council that's not doing enough. You, you say they haven't got the money for the dog wardens, but if they started fining people with the dogs fouling, mm-hmm. then they would get the money to, to, to pay the dog wardens. Then you would have dog wardens who would be getting paid per ticket they're putting out, basically. 
You'd be well, saying, well, you know, you can imagine the council's bosses saying to the dog wardens, well, out you go and remember you've got to bring in £500 today to help pay for your wages this week. Surely that's not well, the way. They'd be starting looking well, for well, things. Well, maybe that is the answer. I don't know. Um, but how many times you see dog dog fouling lying on the roads and in the, in the parks and the kids are playing in the parks mm. and they're getting covered in dog mess? Yep. Um, and there's nothing getting done. I mean, I, I know a person personally that got bitten by a dog uh, and, the, and he reported, he worked for the council, he reported it to the council and the council did absolutely nothing about it. So so it's the council that's letting people down, I think. The the local councils, they, they need to be the doing more. The local councils, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Okay, Robert, thank you very much indeed. Moving on because we've got quite a few comments on this one. John, good morning. Good morning, how are you doing this morning? Good, thank you. If, if you have you got a dog, Ali? No. Have you got a dog? Yeah. Have I got a dog? No. Yeah. No, I said that. Have you ever had a dog? Yes. Have you ever had a dog? Yes. What's, it, what's this got to do with the price of cheese? Get on with it, John. Well, to, me, you know, to me, dogs are the best friends I've got. I mean, I've got a dog, and my, my daughter's got a dog. And when they die, they become a... They go, Become a part of the family. They're a lovely little thing. It depends on how you look after them. You go to care them and train them dogs. They deal with their tools that you behave them. Right? So there's nothing wrong with dogs. And if they want to go for a walk or a park, just make sure they're okay. I mean, there's the people, it's the people who blame the dog owners. The people who take a dog and let it do what it wants, they're the ones who should penalise, not the dogs. Mm. The dogs are only animals, and they, they, they've got to enjoy themselves and behave themselves. A, they're a part of the community, dogs. I mean, you can't put them all in one category. There's a good, the bad, and the bad. I mean, my friends got dogs, and they're lovely little things. As long as you sort of treat them well, I gave them a wee crap and a biscuit, and I, they're okay. I mean, no point of putting them all in decriminalising dogs. All dogs, all dogs are not bad. It's not the dogs, it's the owners. Thank you. I'm just looking at a text that's come in here and says, Ali, I didn't know you didn't like dogs. I never said I didn't like dogs. I just never said that. Yes, I've had a dog. I see. You're going on your text here. Somebody called Tracy. Going on about me saying I didn't have a dog. I don't. Three daughters and a son. They all have dogs. So anytime I want one, I can get a loan of one. If I want to go for a walk, I can borrow a dog. I'm okay. Um, keep your calls coming in on that. Okay? 033-2020-401. There's quite a few subjects to get through today. And one that I missed out last week because I ran out of time. So I'm going to bring it in now uh, so that I don't run out of time today because I think it's going to be a busy one. I've got quite a few subjects to talk about. Um, we are no doubt well aware of climate change and things that are harming the environment. I know, I know, but let, just bear with me for a minute. Not least because of the protests we've seen over the weeks and, you know, changes in our everyday lives, like the shopping bag levy, and now they're talking about 25 pence onto a... a, a a non-reusable coffee cup, honestly. But where do we draw the line? We're going to hear from one man from Troon in South Ayrshire on why he started using reusable nappies for his daughter. We'll do that in a moment. Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Craig Mackay's ditched the single-use nappies once and for all and gone back to how it would have been done in the old days. And he wants more parents to do the same. Here he is speaking to our reporter, Natasha Reid. So you and your family use reusable nappies. Why? (laughs) 
Well, I've got, got two kids. Uh, the, the first, uh, uh, first uh, my son, he's seven. Uh, we, we had planned to use reusables uh, and didn't really get around to it at the time. Uh, but uh, when, when our second one came along, Elsa, uh, she's just over a year old, uh, we sort of t- took the plunge then and uh, we just took the decision, like, let's get them and, and try them out. And they've, they've been great. I mean, they, they really have worked well. We've even uh, tra- travelled abroad with them, so, so now they certainly work for us. And was it just a case of, you know, not having to go out and buy nappies all the time, saving money, good for the environment? Are these the kind of things that you were thinking of? For me, the environment's a huge uh, part, part of it. Uh, when, when you think of the amount of nappies that go to land, landfill, uh, I looked at some figures there and it's something silly like 187 billion nappies every year uh, across the world that get, get thrown out. And, I mean, they're made of plastic, they're not, they're not recyclable. And, I mean, I, I know some of the companies are trying to look at making biodegradable biodegradable ones but that's still not going to solve the solution it's still creating waste that we don't need to um reusable nappies there's nothing new about them um that's that's the way it's been in the past but in recent decades the the companies making disposables have have obviously marketed these products and they've become the norm i guess when people think reusable nappies they probably have horrible images of their head how how does it actually work they're actually, I mean, modern nappies are, are quite different to your traditional terry toweling or the big safety pin. I mean, they, they are shaped with like either Velcro or poppets to hold them. And I mean, they're very similar to disposals to put, to put on, uh, just wrap around and uh, it's very straightforward. So there's no, there's no difficulty that way. And again, different from tele, terry toweling, you don't have to soak them or anything. You just keep them in a bucket, throw them in a washing machine uh, and that's, that's them dealt with. So it's just as easy as, as normal. I, I would say so, yeah. I mean, having used both, uh, uh, if I can say, we've probably had fewer accidents with uh, the, the reusables. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they'd be more, more reliable. Uh, it's just to have the will there. I think there's it's, it's a win-win situation for uh, for the environment, for, for people's pockets, and even for the council in terms of the amount of landfill uh, that's, that has to deal with. Uh, so it's something I'd like to see progressed. What a, a, an amazing figure that Craig just came out with there. 187 billion disposable nappies a year across the world. 187 billion. Um, and the, the, they're not disposable. That's the whole thing. So do you think this is a realistic change you could make in your household? Or is it too much of an ask, too much of a problem? Well, Kate Graham from Mockland runs what's called a nappy library in Ayrshire and says there are so many options for parents and certainly nothing to fear about reusable nappies. We're all probably thinking, how do they actually work though? Some of us can remember how they work. Here's Katie. So the best method and the best way that I've found of keeping nappies um, really clean, stain free and making sure that um, you're not leaving waste sitting for days on end, um, what I like to do is at the end of each day, I like to um, clean out my nappies. So essentially using a fleece liner, which is a nice soft stay dry layer that sits on the very top of the nappy closest to baby's skin, that catches any solid waste. Um, and that can literally be sh- shook over the top of your toilet pan and your waste goes in there. Um, something I found out just when starting to do um, cloth nappies was that no human waste is actually supposed to go to landfill at all. So even if you're using disposable nappies, you are supposed to remove the waste from a disposable nappy before putting it into the bin. Um, I know not everyone does that or, or even the majority of people, but it's just interesting to note that that is what you're supposed to do anyway. Um, 
With a tiny newborn baby up to six months, if they are exclusively breastfed, the whole cloth nappy can just be put straight into the washing machine because breastfed poo is water soluble. Anything, um, if they have any formula or if they've started to eat food, that waste has to be removed before you put it into your machine. And as I said, the best way for that I found to do that is to use a, a fleece liner, which catches all the waste and is very easily shooken off above your toilet pan and, and your waste goes in there. So even if you just say, well, I'll do one cloth nappy when I'm at home in the evening or um, I'll do one overnight or whatever, if just that one a day, not only does it save such a lot for everybody, but also it might encourage you, seeing how well that one cloth nappy can goes that you might decide actually I can do two cloth nappies a day or I can go full time cloth it's literally just it, it can fit into your life any way that suits you um, and I just would say to everyone to give it a try So what do you think about reusable nappies then? Have you used them? Are they really an easy solution for families or um, just a nightmare for you? You know, if, if you've used them or, or maybe not been used to use them, there will be many people listening to this programme um, that uh, only used them, I would imagine. How environmentally friendly is it? Surely you'll be doing more washing, uh, loads more washing, trying to make sure you've got your reusable nappies dry and ready. And we all know how much energy washing machines and dryers use. So here we are again. You see, it's, it's, it's going round in this circle because don't use... The disposable nappies use reusable ones. But, of course, you've got to use the energy to get them washed. What are your thoughts on that? Um, uh, as I say, there are no doubt some people thinking, what's he going on about? A new thing called reusable nappies. Been there for years, I know. But to some, they're new. And it's all about the environment. So, um, your thoughts on that? And, and also, John sends me a wee text here. He says, I heard you mention the levy on coffee cups Please bring that up as a subject. Okay, I'll throw it in now then as part of the environment. When we're talking about the environment, um, the the news released this week that tea and coffee lovers face paying an extra 25p or up to. Some are saying between 20 and 25p. If your hot drink is sold in a disposable cup, so if you just run into a coffee or tea shop uh, or indeed a petrol station, uh, you, you want a cup of coffee, you don't carry a reusable cup around with you, you're going to be charged an extra 25 pence. SNP chiefs vow the nation will go to loan with the Latte Levy. Uh, it's been labelled here in one newspaper report. Uh, it's been proposed by an expert panel um, we need a fundamental move away from single-use disposable drink cups. Is this just another tax? To me, there was a song by Johnny Nash many years ago called There Are More Questions Than Answers, and that came to mind when I was reading about this. Where is this going to go? Where is the money? The extra, oh, it will, go to, you know, it will go to charity. Who says it will go to charity? It's the same with the paper bags. You know, when you get asked, would you like a paper bag or would you like a bag of any type? You know, you get charged the five pence. Those five pences were supposed to go to charity. Well, not the whole five pence. If a retailer pays a pence for the bag, then the four pence should go to charity. But I've asked a couple of people behind counters when they say, do you want a bag? And I say, uh, where does the money go? Oh, it's the government. It's not the government. It's a shopkeeper if they're not giving it to a charity. Many shops sit with collecting cans on their, their um, counters and say, just put the, the 5p in there. So will this be another 25p a time 
for a cup. What are your thoughts? Or treble three, 2020, 401. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, a Holyrood committee this week demanded dog control laws in Scotland are immediately overhauled, labelling it a national crisis because of the number of attacks. But I've uh, been asking you how you feel about a uh, dog offender database being introduced, dogs being banned from certain parks, and even making it compulsory for GPs and other doctors to report dog bites to the police. Uh, a lot of coming through on calls and also comments on social media. Uh, love to hear from you. Here's that number again if you want to talk about that. Oh, treble three twenty twenty four oh one. Also talking there about um, nappies and the old. Terry Towling nappies, the reusable ones, uh, should be using them again because of the environment. Here's a, a, an interesting comment from Kath. Uh, she says, it's not just nappies that are going to landfill and taking hundreds of years to degrade, causing environmental concerns, but also incontinence pads too. The NHS estimates that incontinence affects between three to six million people in the UK. The true figures are very difficult to predict as many people are too embarrassed to go to their doctor to discuss their symptoms and therefore get help they need, which could help them and stop them the need to use the pads. Kath, thank you for raising that. We're talking about the environment and uh, the, the decision this week or the recommendation from yet another committee that has been set up uh, by Holyrood uh, to look into reusable coffee cups. I agree with you. I think it's just another tax on the public. Well, I'm not sure that it's a tax, Elaine, because, you know, if this 25p just disappears, it's actually profit to to the retailer or whoever's selling it. But will they want to put their prices up by 25p? You'd see uh, coffee and tea wars coming on the high street. Uh, Thanks for that. Here's one for you, says Crash the Posty in Elgin. It'll now cost you £1 to put air in your tyres from a supermarket petrol station. And they even have contactless. Nothing is free now. I know, but this is an extra addition, 25p, onto your coffee cup. They say, well, and part of them, as again, there was more questions than answers on this thing, but uh, it was suggested that the 25p would go to charity. But does that just come around? I mean, is there any guarantee that the shop you go to today that uh, charge you five pence for a bag or whatever? Is there any guarantee it's going to charity? I just asked a question. I just asked the question. That's it. I doubt it in some shops. Uh, here's comment. Ali, don't think all dogs should be banned from all areas, as Stephen was suggesting. But if you have a dog that's dangerous, I bite, then surely it's the owners that are responsible for the action of the dog. So maybe it's the owners that need to be investigated to see if they are capable of having a dog in the first place, as they are the ones that should be able to control their dog. It's true, isn't it? So you just go and buy a dog. Simple as that. If you want a dog, you buy a dog. Should there be controls on those who have dogs? Here's one from Jan. She says, I've always said all dogs should be on a leash in all public areas at all times. That's an interesting one. Jan thinks all dogs should be on a leash in all public areas at all times. What are your thoughts on that? Stephen, another Stephen here, there is no such thing as a bad dog, only bad owners. 
There's the reason why dogs attack, and it has to do with humans and their clear inability to look after them and their supreme lack of knowledge. People who wish to have a dog should be made to pass a test. See, there we go again. You can just go and buy a dog. Surely there should be some way of doing it. That other Stephen lacks knowledge with the stupid statement that all dank dogs should be banned in public places. Now, Stephen, there are no stupid statements on this programme. It's everybody's opinion. Everybody has their own opinion. Stephen happens to think, through whether it's his own thoughts or just his experience, that uh, dogs should be banned from all public places. So that's his opinion. What's yours? I was on holiday recently in Perth, Western Australia. Dogs are very well in control. They're kept under control. No dogs are permitted into the city, with the exception of guide dogs. The beaches are exceptionally clean. No dog mess anywhere. It made me feel absolutely ashamed that I live in Scotland with no proper dog laws and the amount of dog mess. Ban dogs from towns and public places. That's the comment from Brenda. Keep them coming in. 033-2020-401 is the number. Uh, You couldn't miss the news this week. More people than ever are dying as a result of taking drugs in Scotland. That's what we heard this week when the latest drug-related death figures were published. 1,187 lives lost in just one year. That figure is 27% higher than the year before. It's the highest per million people of all European countries and the highest it's been since records began in 1996. The question is, why? Why is Scotland unable to get on top of this? Well, these figures have prompted calls for radical change to policy here, including decriminalisation. So making it legal to use drugs for recreational use, but it would still be against the law to deal them. Amy Cowan is from a charity called Anyone's Child and he pushes for a public health approach to be taken towards the issue after his own experience with his family. Well, I think what, I mean, if you look at my situation, uh, my son Daniel, who was 29, a uh, very, very nice chap, a professional guy. He was in the financial services industry um, and a lovely guy. Uh, I say that as his father, so somebody who knew him sort of better than most and loved his family, loved his friends, um, a, a tremendous young man. Uh, and uh, he clearly was a very occasional user of recreational drugs, uh, as people, you know, drink alcohol or whatever here, would occasionally take recreational drugs uh, when he was out at parties or whatever, uh, as we now understand. Didn't really appreciate that at the time. Uh, But far from the caricature of some kind of a drug-addicted or, uh, you know, drug-dependent individual, and many, many of these deaths are people in Daniel's situation. Daniel was unfortunately one of these statistics in 2016 when he simply took a couple of pills uh, and um, and died as a result. Now, had Daniel gone, had had these recreational drugs been legally available, and had he gone down to the local chemist, and had he bought legal recreational drugs for his high uh, to celebrate with his friends, um, and had he got a box with warnings on it spelling out what the ingredients were. Had these drugs been manufactured by a legal pharmaceutical company subject to rigorous regulation and oversight, uh, uh, if he had taken these drugs and got high, would he still be alive? Uh, And I believe 
almost certainly he would have still been alive. Now, that's not to say that drugs can't cause harm. You know, there are many things that we do that cause harm. Uh, if we drink alcohol, that will can cause us harm. Uh, if we smoke, that can cause us harm. But we don't prohibit them. We don't ban them because we know that that's a fruitless uh, enterprise. I don't know why we have a different view uh, as far as drugs are concerned. Andy Cohen from the charity Anyone's Child. Someone who agrees with that is Jim Duffy. He's a retired Strathclyde police officer and has been campaigning for drugs to be decriminalised for some time. Now, he says it's worked in other countries, so why not here? There are two areas you need to think about here. There's there's decriminalisation, which they've done in uh, Portugal. And what that effectively means, as I'm sure you're aware, is that anyone who's caught with any kind of drugs at all, cannabis right through to heroin, cocaine, MDNA, if they're in personal possession of it, rather than go to the courts, they are put in through a treatment centre. Now, when Portugal said they would do that, eh, there were many, many voices raised in the Scottish Parliament that Portugal would become the drugs capital of Europe, and that didn't happen. Eh, what happened initially was there was a small increase in use, and then it started to tail off. There are more people seeking treatment, there are less people using drugs, there is less crime. Eh, the death rate in Portugal eh, at one stage was three deaths per 100,000. At that time, Scotland's death rate was 46 per 100,000. So it's not exactly rocket surgery to think that if it works there, it could work here. The other side, of uh, once you go away from decriminalisation, decriminalisation still means it's an offence for people to deal with it. When you go to uh, regulation and legalisation, as they have in Colorado in relation to cannabis, what that does is it takes it away entirely from the criminal gangs. It allows people to uh, purchase licences to either grow their own in the house or to go to regulated outlets and purchase uh, one of five or six strains that are allowed, that are allowed to grow in that, con- that county. What that means is they know the purity, the strength, the effect and their responsibilities. Uh, in Colorado now, they've, been, they've had it legalised for recreational and uh, medicinal purposes since the 1st of January 2014. Last year in Colorado, they sold a billion dollars worth of cannabis for uh, recreational and medicinal use. That's taxed at 20% in a local uh, state, and that 20% goes to the state. And with that, they are using that for uh, education, for schools, for hospital, and for treatment schemes. And people, when I talk about that, say, yeah, that's a good thing. And I say to them, yes, it is. Now look beyond that. In total, that was a thousand million dollars of sales that didn't go to the black economy, that didn't go to organised crime to fund people trafficking, child prostitution, counterfeiting, all the other terrible things they get up to. That's That can't be in any way, shape or form seen as a bad thing. Uh, the cannabis industry in Colorado now is the third biggest employer in the state. There are over 12,000 people working in it. Uh, it's part of the tourist trade. Um, crime has not gone up. Uh, drug driving has not gone up. The number of people seeking treatment in hospital went up slightly and that was because uh, when it was illegal they wouldn't go to hospital for treatment. Now that it's legal, that barrier is gone and people can go and seek help. And that's the effect that happens all over the world where once you take the criminality out of it, people who want to uh, do something about it can then go and approach the treatment rooms and whatever uh, and, and access help. Retired Strathclyde Police Officer Jim Duffy there. Well, the people on the front line dealing with the drugs is, of course, the police. We're going to hear from Callum Steele, who is the General Secretary of the Scottish Police Federation. And he says we should instead giving officers more resource 
to tackle the dealers. I don't think anyone disagrees that almost 1,200 drugs deaths in a year is, is nothing short of, of, a, of a crisis. Uh, it's an absolute scandal. Uh, it's a stain on the country. Uh, it's undoubtedly true that there needs to be a fundamental approach to uh, assisting those that have drug addiction problems, and it certainly needs to be looked at from a health perspective. Uh, but we also can't ignore the fact that uh, behind every one of these drugs deaths, there is a drug dealer somewhere, uh, probably working on behalf of an organised crime group, uh, peddling misery, uh, making lots of profit, uh, and they don't care one single iota about uh, the deaths that uh, come about in the back of their activities. Drugs is always a topic that divides us. I mean, we've raised it on this programme so many times. But with figures increasing so drastically year on year, I was thinking this week, is it not time we start to see some radical action? Politicians, can we please have some less talk and more change? Would decriminalisation make matters so much worse? Would you be worried for your own family members if drugs became readily available? Or are you already concerned about what's circulating in your communities? What's the answer? If you have someone in the family that uh, is involved in drugs, is a drug addict, is, is, is trying to recover, but, you know, just it's, it is an addiction, um, what would you say is the answer? Or indeed, if you're um, on some of the drugs yourself, is there an answer to this? Because surely we just cannot keep going on the way it's going um, and the dramatic increase that we've seen year on year and, you know, more casualties as we go through the next 12 months. Just going back to what I said at the beginning, this, the latest drug-related death figures, this week they were published, 1,187 lives lost in just 12 months. What's your thoughts? What do we do to stop it? Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Uh, some comments on social media. Jim in Stirling says, uh, why not bring back the licence fee for dogs? A little bit more than 37 pence would pay for the wardens. OK, thanks for that. Um... There's another one that says, I agree, it's far too easy to own a dog. There should be some sort of uh, course people should need to do and pass a potential owner's costs. Most responsible dog owners know where and when to walk their dogs in public and a few irresponsible owners who can't control or pick up their mess seem to stigmatise the decent ones. Finally, there are definitely bad dogs. It's not entirely true that it's the owners doing it in all cases. Just as there are bad people, in most cases it's not the parents to blame if their son or daughter assault or do worse than another. Mike, thank you for that. All right. Uh, John, good morning. Good morning, Ali. How are you, my friend? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. What's on the varying subjects we're talking about today? What do you want to talk about? Yes, I want to talk about drugs, Ali. Now, that section that you've done there, I've never heard as much sense in all my life. I've said it before on this programme, and I'll say it again. There is only one way to beat the drugs problem in this country, and that's to legalise it. Take the money out of it. Legalise it. Stop people from getting into chemists and taking this muck they call methadone. It's as bad a drug, if not worse, than what you're trying to take people off it. We as a country could buy the drugs in. We could have clinics. We could have them registered. 
We could have them coming in and getting their stuff and putting money into the country instead of money into the black market, just as the police officer said. It's the only way forward. But our councillors, our MPs, haven't got the backbone to stand up and be counted and accept it as the only way forward. Pumping more money into police officers, Ali. If you take a dealer off the street, three come in his place. We know that. They've been running around in circles for years with this problem. And it's not getting any better, it's getting worse. There is only one way. Now, just as that gentleman said, if his son had been able to walk into a chemist and get the drugs that he wanted, if he wanted them, he would be safe, or he'd be relatively safe, because mm. he would know what he's taking. Yep. But the way it's standing at the present moment, poor, these poor people are going away into street corners and buying Ajax and all sorts of muck and sticking it up their arm, no knowing what they're doing, and ending up dead. All of these could be stopped instantly, Ali, by legalising. And a lot of people say to me, well, where would the money come from for these clinics? The money would come from the money that we're already spending on police officers and lawyers and all the rest of it that this problem's causing. We'd, the country would actually make money out of Ali. We would save money and we would save lives and we would stop a major problem in this country. Okay, John, thank you. As you say, you, you've um, uh, stuck with your thoughts for quite some time now, and any time we talk about that, that you, you, you're right. You know, just what we were talking about there, that's exactly um, what they were saying. You know, turn it around, and you've said that for quite some time um, to, to legalise it. Here's a question that comes in from Phil on social media. Perhaps the question, he says, should be asked, why are these people taking drugs in the first place? What is the reason? Are they unhappy in their lives? Is there a vacuum in their lives? Find the cause and you'll find the cure. Phil, if only it was as easy as that. And I'm not saying it would be terribly easy, but um, it's an addiction. You know, people can't stop smoking. People who smoke, you know, they, they smoke because they, it's an addiction. Drink, it's an addiction. Drugs, when you get onto them, it's an addiction. Substance abuse, this one from Liz. Substance abuse is a health issue as opposed to a criminal one, given that the majority of substances involved in drug deaths are methadone, morphine and diazepam, all prescription drugs, not simply street heroin. Substance abuse is a symptom of mental health problems and must be treated as such. Liz, thank you for your thoughts. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, Ali. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Yourself? Good, Ali, I think the problem, first of all, with the legalisation of, of the drugs argument is that Westminster have already said that they're not going to do that. And, you know, therefore, until Scotland, for instance, ever became, if it ever become an independent country, then I don't think that's an option we can even explore realistically, Ali. We've got to work maybe with the budgets we've got now, what we're spending in methadone, and look at maybe some form of abstinence clinics, as you say, some form of safe injection places, whatever, trying to get it off the street. I'm not convinced it's as easy as that either, mm -hmm. mind Ali. It's a big problem. Drugs have become socially acceptable now with many young people. Uh, for the life of me, I can't understand why they, they need to take drugs. I mean, the high at that age is all they need to have your health and your your young life, Ali. We, we, you know, 
I just can't understand why they need to get high on, on you know, prescription drugs or illegal drugs. It's it's a major problem, Ali, and I, I don't think anybody really has the answer, Ali. I, I agree nobody has the answer, but, you know, we cannot keep going on and saying, well, yeah. it's Westminster's causing the problem because they won't let us do this. You know, we need to find some sort of solution. And I don't know, I've been doing a talking programme across Scotland for, I don't know, 20 odd, 30 years. I don't know how long I've been doing this. Never actually counted it up. <laughs> but we've been talking about it all these years. And that's what's wrong. We just well, continue to talk about it. That's exactly right. It's getting worse. And, and I think, Ali, they simply just park the, the opiate addicts, the heroin addicts on methadone. And I presume a lot of them will still be getting a £10 bag here and there and, and shooting up as well as taking the methadone. So, But many of them don't. So don't label them all the same. You know, if you're on methadone, you're normally uh, tested at least every couple of weeks to see if you've got anything else in your system. And if they do have something else in their system, they risk getting their methadone stopped. So, you know, there are those who get methadone because they need it. Well, the thing is, it probably becomes as big an addiction, I guess, yes. as... Yes. You know, as the, the heroin. So it's a very complex thing. And yeah, it is a medical issue. Although there's a lot of crime surrounding drug use as well, Ali, because sadly many addicts will, will steal, rob shops, break into houses, etc. Um, under the influence. I mean, you read it in the papers every day where the, the lawyer defending will say my client was out of his face and drinking drugs, mm-hmm. my lord. So... You know, it's it's a major problem, Ali. It's a major problem as well. I think that a lot of people think, you know, they they immediately think of the the teenager, the young twenty year old. It's now in these figures that came out this week. It's now been showing that it's it's the it's the the, the parents and the grandparents that are still yeah, on that in the news. Yeah, it? The, you know, that, a, a lot of people now are regularly using the likes of cocaine, Ali, and, and ketamine at the weekends and things and. You know, if you make these lifestyle choices, then there's a real danger, I'm afraid, that you're going to be addicted, Ali, and you're also going to make your mind suffer as well, hence the mental health argument. Indeed. Andrew, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Decriminalise drugs and make it legal, says this text. Some companies or even the NHS rather than dealers and crime levels would fall dramatically as possibly more people would be saved. Control it by a government rather than a dealer. Okay, thanks for that. Loads of comments still to come through. I was talking about the years that we've been here and and, and I've been doing this show and we've been talking about drugs. You know, another campaign that uh, we've got behind on this programme is one of many, and I'm sure you have heard of Frank's Law. Now, it was set up by wife of footballer Frank Capel to get free personal care extended to under 65s in Scotland. It's after Frank was diagnosed with dementia at the age of 59 and had to pay for his own support. Sadly, he died just a few years later. Now Frank's law was passed in Scotland at the end of last year, supposedly meaning victory for Amanda Capel and everyone who was behind her, including us, because she was in this programme several times. I've known Amanda for a number of years. But this week... She's been on to demand every local authority in Scotland is implementing it. I couldn't believe this when I read that South Ayrshire Council have announced that it would be scrapping Frank's law because of budget pressures. Here's what Amanda had to say about that. To say I was horrified 
um, I was sickened um, and appalled actually that a council has actually been able to do this against the under 65s who had all been living in hope on the 1st of April for Frank's Law to help them. Now, since then, many other local authorities have come out to say that they will absolutely be implementing Frank's Law using every bit of funding allocated to them by the Scottish Government. Amanda remembers the day the money was set aside. Frank's Law was a campaign six years ago it was started and it finally was implemented on the 1st of April this year. And um, I do remember being at the budget in February, sitting in the gallery and listening to Mr Mackay um, announce um, you know, his budget. And I was also um, delighted to hear that £30 million um, was going to be um, you know, given for the implementation of Frank's law for the under-65s in Scotland for personal care. I don't remember the actual day that was. I'm sure somebody would like to just, um, <laughs> you know, um, tell me. But I do remember the moment that I met Mr Mackay in the, the corridor after the budget at Holyrood. And we, I, I spoke to him and, and thanked him very much for the £30 million, which he was giving to all the 32 councils. Well, it was to be divided by the 32 councils um, for Frank's Law, for specifically the under-65s. And I asked him, I hope it is going to be ring-fenced, Mr Mackay. And his reply was, we are not only just going to ring fence it Amanda we are going to double ring fence it so don't you worry it will be used specifically for the under 65s for personal care. So the question is in the case of South Ayrshire Council at least is that not happening? Why is have they decided to use the money for something else? Amanda's demanding answers. The battle for Frank's law was won and but the war is still going on. And that saddens me, and I know it would sadden Frankie if he was here just now, and all the other under-65s. And it will sadden all these members, these proud members of Frank's army, who stood shoulder to shoulder with me throughout that campaign. And they came from all walks of life, you know, all ages, creeds, colours, genders. And like me, they were absolutely ecstatic when they heard that Frank's law was going to be implemented. Um, but as I say, the war is still going on. And, and it's something that I would never have envisaged because on the 1st of April, I really thought that was it. And why is it not it for the residents of South Ayrshire? Are you or do you know of someone benefiting from Frank's Law? Free personal care for the under 65? What difference has it made and how do you feel that it could be a lottery on whether you get it or not, depending upon where you stay? If you stay within South Ayrshire Council at the moment, how do you feel that that is not going to... The money's there, but they're going to use it for something else. Surely that is wrong. Surely the Scottish Government should step in and take the money away. Should under-65s have to pay for their own care if they have the same conditions as illnesses as over-65s? That question really has been answered because Frank's law is there. 
But are councils left with no choice but to scrap important schemes because of a lack of money coming from Holyrood in the first place? Your thoughts? 033-2020-401 You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. I just want to mention a competition that we're doing because I think it's one that, you know, if you look at your bank balance the week before payday, if you're monthly paid, and not that Kieran's counting down the days or anything. You are counting down yeah, the days. I'm yeah. always counting down He's the days. counting down the days, right, okay. Um, as, as you look at it, it's getting closer to, to payday. We're running a competition at the moment that we've got problems giving the money away. It's astonishing, isn't it? I say problems, but it's fun as well. We play, as always, the best songs from the 70s, 80s and 90s from the world's biggest artists. And those big names are worth thousands of pounds to you every day. Cash Superstar, that's what we're playing at the moment. And on Friday, the Cash Superstar, David Bowie, was worth £5,270. I would happily take that. I know, you would take (laughs) it, right? So you would think that if you phone to take part in the competition and you're told we may call you back at three o'clock, you'd have your phone switched on. Oh, my phone would be not leaving my side whatsoever. Well, the computer threw out a name on Friday and the person's phone went to answer phone. So no one <laughs> won the cash, which means tomorrow it's a massive rollover. There'll be even a bigger amount of money to be won and a brand new cash superstar to remember. So be listening just after 8 o'clock tomorrow morning on The Breakfast Show for the cash superstar and that money could be in your pocket. There are we plug for that. So, uh, Kieran, been going through the calls and uh, taking your calls today and also uh, looking at some of the comments on Twitter, let me just start off with one here uh, on social media and do a roundup all, of all the subjects here. Uh, K Smart says, "So Stephen would ban dogs completely. He should be banned completely, or as he suggests, doing to dogs should be taken to the vet. The man's a muppet." <laughs> <laughs> Louise says, "Love him or hate him, I must admit, occasionally he does raise some very valid points, uh, just not this time." Okay, so, so that's so going she on there. there. Yeah, yeah, that's going on currently on my Facebook page, Ali Bally Show. Just log on and see. There's quite a bit of conversation going on there. All dogs should be muzzled outdoors. It's a no-brainer. So why don't they make it law? That's Ian Gregor. I've got more on dogs. Um, there's one here that says responsible dog owners would not let this happen. More needs to be done to control and train the owner more than the dog. Bring back licenses or something that actually tracks who owns dogs. Well, here's one from Anne. She says it should be mandatory that dog breeders need to properly check out people that they're selling dogs to, as cat and dog homes and dogs trust do when they rehome dogs. Maybe they need to consider bringing back the dog licence and making it compulsory to attend puppy and dog training classes. The Kennel Club have a good citizen scheme where they assess the dog on many aspects and also check their temperament and their owner skills. Dogs should be on a lead. That comes from Anne. This is also quite an interesting one. It's quite short. It says, why not create dog parks like they have in America? I never thought of that before. All right, no. Until now. No, no, good. Okay. On to one drugs here then. Um, and, and Well, let me go to this one first regarding the uh, Frank's Law. This one's from Tony. Tony says, the basic problem here is that the Scottish government are asking the local authorities to do even more with less cash. I accept... What we're saying, you know, this is a Frank's law, is a good thing. However, South Ayrshire councillors were elected to that role by the constituents to make the decisions that are right for South Ayrshire. 
And if they see an opportunity to plug a hole somewhere with that money, that's what they should do. Only the residents and the voters at the next election will decide if they've got it right. And this is one on drugs. This one says, The war on drugs has utterly failed. Time for decriminalisation, legalisation, and it to be treated as a health issue. Okay, I'm back on dogs here. There should be some sort of course people should need to do and pass at the potential owner's cost. I read that one. That was from Mike. Uh, Okay, thank you for that. And your next one? Um, I've got one last one here on dogs. Why don't we just ban irresponsible humans from owning pets? There are no bad dogs, just bad and cruel owners. Great. Uh, We all pay into the national insurance and pay our taxes, says this one. So there definitely should not be a postcode lottery in relation to our NHS or social care provided by local authorities. We are supposed to have health and social care integration, which was supposed to improve our health care. Our health secretary, Jean Freeman and Derek Mackay, who ensured Amanda Capel that the money would be ring-fenced, now need to show their teeth and authority and keep their promise. Thank you, Kath, for that. And uh, that's all we've got time for. Uh, just say thank you very much indeed to uh, a lady, and I'm trying to find it here because I just want to say thanks, uh, a lady in Montrose. Yeah, she says, uh, your programme is the best ever for in and a chat for all our listeners. Please keep up the good work. Love the range of topics. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, that's Linda Montrose. Uh, I'd just like to say thank you to Natasha Reed who uh, produced the programme today, and of course to Kieran for answering it. So you see, there's, there's a whole team of them here. Absolutely. <laughs> We're all here. Absolutely. Scotland's Talkin' The Podcast